Please pray with me. Our gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for drawing us into your presence today as we sing to you. Thank you that small children have led us into your presence today with their voices, with their countenances, with their trust. And I pray, Lord, that like children, we would come to you today so that we might enter your kingdom, so that we might abdicate our own thrones, step down from our high places to the place of humility. I pray, God, that we might humble ourselves in the sight of you, our Lord, so that you might lift us up. Father, teach us to trust. Show us your ways. You are our God, and we are your people. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. God is good. All the time. It's so good to worship with you and so grateful for Gerald Ray. We are blessed in our church to have a number of ministers who have been used by God to do great things, and we are grateful for Gerald and his continuing ministry in music in this city, and particularly here with us. I've been pondering Jim Cimbala's prayer. I've shared it with you before. He, He says, the greatest sin in America is that America's pastors are not on their knees crying out to God, bring us the drug addicts, the prostitutes, the destitute, the gang leaders, those with AIDS. God, bring us the people that nobody else wants, whom only you can heal, and let us love them in your name until they are whole. I've been praying that prayer because I think he's right. But I don't often see these folks coming to us. And it occurred to me as we think about friendship and look at the life of Jesus, our example in this and all things, I wonder how many of our close friends are people who do not have relationship with Jesus Christ. I wonder how long it's been since we had a non-Christian in our home or how long since we have been in their homes. I remember a young man who visited our church not long after 9-11. He was from a Muslim country He was seeking something. He didn't know exactly what he was seeking. He found us and advertised in a newspaper in the relationships section. We used to advertise and say, if you're looking for love, come to Tallowood. We will love you. I think that's what brought him here initially. And I remember Barbara J cooked a meal for us one night and we sat in my office, which as best as I can understand, my old office was somewhere right over in here back when we had that building before we built this one. And 
he and I sat there one evening and ate supper together and it was a wonderful meal and he said, now I want to cook for you. So will you come to my apartment and let me share a meal with you? And I said, well, I'll be glad to do that. Although I, I thought it's a bit easier to bring him to my office than to go to his home. And when I went to his home, he greeted me at the door and he offered me something to drink. Anybody here ever had a drink of Iran? Spelled A-Y-R-A-N. A few of you have. It's memorable. <laughs> I, I grew up on soft drinks mostly. And when he, when he handed me this, this drink, it, it was white. It looked a bit like milk, but with texture. <laughs> it was liquid yogurt, white liquid yogurt, but not vanilla liquid yogurt. It was um, salted white yogurt, unflavored salted white yogurt. It was lukewarm, unsalted or salted unflavored white yogurt next to barium. It is the worst thing I have ever had in my life. And I, I took that first drink. Have you ever done this and tried to configure my face in a smile, but it just wasn't working. And before we ate, I drank the whole thing to the dregs and they were lumpy. And then over a period of time through this friendship, my friend came to know Christ. And if, if Iran is an acquired taste, I will need more time to acquire. <laughs> but if I knew that by drinking Iran, I could lead other people into relationship with Christ, I am honest with you when I say I would drink gallons of it every day. Paul said, I have become all things to all people so that somehow I might reach some. And I noticed that Jesus had a way of reaching into the lives of people and befriending them until they became his followers. And then they were friends indeed. Would you open your Bibles with me to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 2, verses 13 through 17. I want to think with you about a great investment as we continue. Last week we talked about identifying new friends and interceding for them. I wonder if you've been praying for friends this week. I wonder if God has brought any to mind. I ran out of blanks on my little card. We had three blanks, but I now have four people that God has called to my attention and I've been praying for them faithfully. We want to encourage you to continue to do that. Let's take another step this morning. Would you stand with me as we read God's word? <clears throat> Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him and he began to teach them. And as he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him. And Levi got up and followed him. And while Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples for they were, there were many who followed him. 
And when the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Thank you. You may be seated. Jesus loved people and he made friendships with unlikely people. Last week we saw a woman at a well. Today I want us to think about Jesus' friendship with people who were unseemly in that culture, tax collectors who made their money taking money from their own people and sending it off to the Roman government who had occupied the land. You can imagine that they were not very popular people and the very religious people in the country had absolutely nothing to do with them. So it was a bit shocking that as Jesus walked along in this role of rabbi teaching his disciples that he looked and noticed a man at a tax collector's booth and said to him two words, follow me. These are Jesus' characteristic climactic words that call to communion with himself. He was inviting this person into relationship with himself. And before the day was done, Jesus was eating in his home, which meant more than you and I can imagine in our culture. This sort of inviting somebody into your home, accepting an invitation into somebody's home was really a sort of way of saying, we are one. We are more than acquaintances. We are friends, and the Pharisees were absolutely befuddled. Why, they asked Jesus' disciples. They walk in, they see Jesus, they see his disciples, they see tax collectors and sinners, which may be a polite way of describing prostitutes, because in other places it's, it's used in apposition with prostitutes. And so the idea is Jesus is with these unseemly people. And here they are, Pharisees, scribes, teachers of the law, and they can't understand why Jesus is doing this. And Jesus hears them. And in this defining moment, he defines his ministry and says, I really didn't come to be a judge. I came to be a physician. And the people who think they are well don't even need a doctor, but the people who are sick really do. And these people know enough to know that they are sick. And I am going to make them whole. In the Gospel of Matthew, where Matthew tells his own story, because Levi, it turns out, is Matthew, he adds one more thing that Jesus said. It's in in chapter 9, verse 15, I believe. And he says, Jesus said, learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Jesus welcomed people into his sphere of friends that others would not have welcomed. And Jesus really sets the standard for us. If we are followers of Jesus, if we're going to walk where he walked and do what he did, we will have to befriend people that we would not ordinarily consider as our friends. I was reading this week about Celsus, the second century 
antagonist against Christianity who accused the Christians of being out of order. And he said, why is it that every other religion goes out and seeks the moral people and the pure people, but the Christians stand on the street corners and say, if anybody has sinned, come to us, come to Jesus. And then he asked this telling question, which shows us a bit about second century Christians. He says, why on earth this preference for sinners? So the second century Christians were a lot like Jesus. Now here we are, two millennia later, and I wonder if anybody is accusing us of that. Is anybody saying, why are those people spending so much time with people who are like that? People who are clearly not the kinds of people that we would hang out with. And if they're not asking that question, I wonder why. I wonder what has changed. Jesus' love has not changed. But our approach to people somehow has changed and I'm praying in these days that God will change us, change us and conform us to the image of his son so that we see the people he would see if he were walking here and we would reach out to those who need him the way that he did. And I'm convinced if we're going to invest in the people who most need Jesus, we will have to cross barriers that are uncomfortable for us to cross. So Jesus sees this man And he invites him to follow him. And Jesus goes into his home and spends time with him in his home. And I was thinking about the street reach ministry that we have on Wednesday nights down in Montrose. And I remember going down there. It was Eddie Halleck's um, first week with us. And we went down there. And I just wanted him to see that ministry. And you all know Troy Burley and his friend Richard who come and eat with us on Wednesday nights. And They never have sleeves covering their arms and they have tattoos on their arms and they go down there every Wednesday night and and I got out of my car and my cufflinks and my jacket and my tie and I started to walk across the parking lot and something stopped me in my steps and I turned around and went back and took off my jacket and my tie but I'm telling you, I didn't fool anybody. (laughs) Nobody looked at me and said, he's one of us. I'll just confess to you, this, I don't want to startle you or shock you, but I don't have a single tattoo. <laughs> I have never pierced anything. I've never worn anything that remotely looked Muslim. I've never been divorced. I drink mostly water, and I've never smoked anything in my life. But if I had, if any of those things were true of me, Could I come to your house? Could I sit on your pew? Let me just clarify something this morning because I think we've been in this room long enough we may have forgotten this, but we don't have our own pews. Where you're sitting, that's not yours. (laughs) So if somebody needs it, don't tell them it's yours. Tell them, my pastor said you can have it because it's not mine. And if you're looking for a place to seat when they take your, 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 your pew, you can come have my seat right over here beside Craig. You're welcome to do that. But don't tell anybody that your seat is your seat. 
because it's not. And the truth is we, we either, Donald Sanugian says, we either look at people through the eyes of a judge or we look at them with the eyes of a doctor. I mean, it's, it's, it's one or the other. And I want us to invest in people that aren't particularly like us. This is important for our mission in this world. I think about those two young men. Tiffany Cobb reminded me of these folks when I was preaching about beautiful feet a few weeks ago. And she said, do you remember the story of the two young Moravian brethren men in 1732, John Leonard Dober and David Nitschman decided that they would go and be missionaries in St. Thomas and St. Croix where a wealthy slave owner, an atheist slave owner, owned thousands of slaves and there were no missionaries and there was no Christian witness there. And so they contracted and contacted this wealthy slave owner and he said, the only way you're gonna come here and minister to my slaves is if you are willing to become a slave. He thought that would stop them. But they got on the boat and as they were leaving the pier, they shouted back at the Moravian brethren, who, by the way, prayed around the clock for a hundred years. They're the ones that Wesley saw on the boat when he was coming to the U.S. to be a minister, and his heart was strangely warmed when he realized that they were God-intoxicated people and they had something he didn't have. These are the same people. The ones who prayed around the clock for a hundred years were the ones who sent these two young men to St. Thomas and St. Croix. And as they were leaving the pier, they waved back across the water and said, may the lamb who was slain receive the reward of his suffering. And in their minds, they were willing to suffer so that the lamb who was slain might receive the reward of his suffering. And if we're going to invest in people, we will likely have to cross barriers that make us uncomfortable. To invest in the people who most need Jesus, we will have to risk our reputations. They began to identify Jesus with these people and they said, we think Jesus should not hang out with these people. And in Matthew chapter 11, verse 19, we read that they called Jesus names. They called him a glutton and a sinner. And they said, he's a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Jesus risked his reputation. And I wonder what our reputation is and what we're trying to protect. Casting Crowns has updated the song we sang earlier about Jesus, a friend for sinners. And he says, Jesus, friend of sinners, help us see the world at the end of our pointing fingers. Let us be led by your mercy. Help us to reach out with open hearts and open doors. Jesus, friend of sinners, break our hearts with what breaks yours. This, this is our mission. And the recent uh, survey came out just this week, maybe you read it, that said that, um, that some 20% of Americans have no church affiliation identification at all. This is up from 15% just five years ago. It's growing by a percentage point a year. And if you get under the age of 30, it's 33% of Americans. I said to you a few weeks ago, nine out of 10 Americans are not committed followers of Jesus Christ. So it's not as though you and I can't find these people. And if you say to me, well, they, they really don't want to come. That's why they don't come. But, but surveys say if they're invited, they do come. If they're befriended, 
they do come. In fact, um, some 68% of them say that they believe in God and 21% of them say that they pray every day. It's not that they don't like Jesus. It's that they don't like the church. And the reason they say they don't like the church is because for them, the church is about money and about power and about politics. And I'm committed to proving that reputation wrong, that we're not about money and we're not about power and we are not about politics, but we are all about the Jesus who reached the people who couldn't get to God any other way. And Jesus still crosses bridges of friendship. And the next time you see somebody and you're tempted to see them through the eyes of a judge instead of the eyes of a doctor, consider this. John Ortberg says, don't decide for them. Don't walk away and not invite them, assuming and decide for them that they won't come. Steve um, Yetcher was a pastor, has a sister named Judy. Judy is, by her own self-description, a party animal, 44 years old. Time and again, he would say to his sister, Judy, you need to come to Christ. Time and again, she would laugh at him and continue. She was headed that way until she was diagnosed with cancer. And shortly after that, her husband was diagnosed with cancer. And shortly after that, she found out he'd been having an affair. And shortly after that, he said, I don't love you anymore. And he left her. And when she realized she had cancer, she went to her brother and she turned to Christ and became a Christian. And she began to pray that God would heal her, but it became evident that God might not heal her. And she realized that the greatest contribution of her life might not be getting well, but leading all of her party animal friends to become followers of Christ. And so she started telling them about Christ every chance she got. She persuaded the doctors 10 days before, before she died to let her out of the hospital so that she could go and be baptized and publicly profess her relationship with Christ. And, and that day, her 84-year-old father became a follower of Christ. Her ex-husband became a follower of Christ. Her new age college roommate became a follower of Christ. And several others, sis, a sister and other friends became followers of Christ. And 10 days later, she died. And when her brother Steve read her message, her funeral message that she had written at her funeral, 100 people professed their faith in Christ. If you can't think of any other reason to reach out to people who need to know Christ, if you can't think of any other reason to cross those barriers and risk your reputations, consider this. They're the ones who actually know the ones who need to know Jesus Christ. And when we think of them, let us see them through the eyes of a doctor who wants to make them whole. Let us see them as Jesus saw them. Because everybody else that day at that house saw a tax collector. But Jesus saw a disciple whose name Levi would become Matthew, who would write the first gospel with the Beatitudes that we love and the Sermon on the Mount. Who knows what God could do? Jesus, what a friend of sinners. Jesus, lover of my soul. Friends may fail me, foes assail me. He, my Savior, 
makes me whole. Jesus, I do now receive him more than all in him I find. I am his and he is mine. Is that your story? Because that's Levi's story. And that's my story. Let's pray. God, thank you for your amazing love, for your gracious goodness to your people. Forgive us, Lord, for the myriad times that we have judged people by outward appearance when your word clearly says that you don't look on the exterior, but you look on the heart. And God, I pray that you would give us eyes to see as Jesus did and hearts to care the way that he did and hands to reach and touch and feet to walk where he would walk if he were here because he is here in us. And Lord, help us today to make commitments that matter, to choose you as Savior and to choose to invest in other people who need to know you as Savior. This is our prayer in Jesus' name, amen.